Thank you guys for coming back to uh, Anchored and Devoted. This is Pastors Jer and Pastor Joseph. We're here to um, hopefully encourage you and uh, strengthen you as you're walking in your walk with Jesus. Um, we're going to be talking politics today, a topic <laughs> that I chose. <laughs> um, but, you know, one of the things that Dave and I want to do is uh, we want to tackle taboo topics every so often and politics is one of the ones that we want to do so there it is there's some ways to get in touch with us if you want to ask a question or give us feedback we will have those details later on because i don't know them off the top of my head but i'm grateful <laughs> you guys are here and i hope that you find this to be profitable um dave let me pitch the first question to you uh, why does God care about politics? Does God care about politics? Hmm. Does God care about politics? Um, I'd have to say, um, I'm going to start off by saying yes, he does care about politics. Um, he cares about people first. Um, and out of that, um, we are to engage the world around us. I think um, there's a question of how we engage with politics that we have to wrestle with. Um, but does he care about it? Uh, yes, I think he does care with the, with the caveat that politics often um, uh, sets the stage for culture. Um, in various countries and communities, it's the, you know, the political backdrop that uh, people um, uh, use for their... Uh, rationale used for their um, uh, even basis for life at certain times. I've yeah. seen that recently in the U.S. Um, as well as in other countries. Um, but politics are important to him. I would say definitely. If not, I don't think we'd be talking about it. Um, but yeah, why do you ask? Do you think? Do you agree? Disagree? I I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I was going to ask you the next question, what's the purpose of politics? But I'm just going to take that myself and answer your question this way. Um, actually, let me, let me do this. Let me ask you, uh, if you could boil it down to one, two, maybe three things, what is the, you know, you said that people look to it to do something and it can't do. Mm -hmm. What is the right purpose of politics? Well, we're not talking about government, politics. Like, like there's a... Um, there's an understanding that when we talk about political parties, we're then attaching that to government. And so government is there to um, protect its people, um, hopefully support the people and in, in, in protecting, there's a number of ways and areas you can go at that from wars to food, um, to education. Those are things that are more recent when it comes to education and food, but originally right you'd see war as the main thing. Um, right. Especially when you look in the Bible, you see that that's what government did. Um, start wars, end wars, and often go to war. Um, uh, but they were used in the Bible to, um, and I'm not doing this quickly, probably as you want it, but I didn't know this question before we started talking. Um, that's the name of the game, man. <laughs> um, they're used by God also. Um, God uses... Uh, other armies as well as uh, his own um, uh, to do his will. And yeah. so 
Um, there is an attachment there from government to God. Um, not that government is above God, but God can use government uh, uh, to accomplish as well. Um, I, I like that you have, I, I didn't honestly think about distinguishing between government and politics. Um, they're, they're, I, w I think I was actually thinking about them synonymously, and I like that you separated, teased them out a little bit. Um, you asked me, do I agree and why? And you said, God cares about people and people is about politics. I'm, I'm going to agree with that completely. Um, politics, government, let me start there. Government has to do with authority. And I believe mm -hmm. that God cares about government because all authority ultimately finds its source and its proper limits in God. Um, and we can, you know, whether we're talking about governmental authority or parental authority or church authority or civic authority, whatever it is that we're talking about, the fact that when my kids go to school, they leave the protection of my authority, um, at least the protection of my home, and they go to a school where they're under the authority of the principal and the staff and the administration, mm -hmm. and they're there's a shared authority there that they're now operating under, but um, still ultimately under my authority, but I have for a time delegated some of that authority to the school. Mm -hmm. And if the kids are in a, in a public school, then, then the parents have also delegated a part of their parental authority to the state, which the school operates under the authority of. And so all the, the theological term here for this is that all authority is subsidiary to God. Correct. And God cares very much about his authority. He cares about how it's used and he cares about how it is, um, how it's used to affect the people that he has created. And he's called ultimately to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. So when it comes to politics, politics interacts with government in this way. Politics is the working out of people who are um, in a society, there's there's interactions that have to take place. There are negotiations that are necessary for living to take place. And the general word for that's going to be politics. When mm -hmm. we're talking about, um, whether we're talking about laws or guidelines or policies mm -hmm. that govern how we're going to interact, that's politics. And so, there's an economic side of politics that we can talk about as you know, bartering and trading. Um, but when we're, absolutely. But Grants. when we're talking about how people work together, what's going to be the common basis for how you and I interact together as, as people that falls under politics. And because God cares not only about me as his creation, but he also cares about you as his creation, and he cares very, he's very invested in how you and I interact with each other. Are we doing so according to the uh, pattern and means that flow out of his character and his heart? And so when, it, when it, we leave the you and I as friends, we, you know, we haven't sat down and worked out some kind of uh, agreement for how we're going to do time sharing on speaking during this podcast, we've 
just talked about it. That's perfectly fine because it's just you and I. There's no one else involved here. Once we get bigger than that, though, there has to be some kind of agreement that we can go back to and say, this is, this is the large agreement that we all, whether or not we have individually signed onto it as a group, this is what we're saying we're going to hold ourselves to or be held to if we're going to maintain our membership in this group. Um, I think God cares a lot about that because it has everything to do with how we comport ourselves and how we treat other people. And then by extension from treating other people, how we care for the things that God has placed under our dominion as humans. Going back to Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve and God gives to Adam dominion over all the birds and all the animals and all of the land and says, here's what you are responsible for. And your responsibility is to care for it and to cause and, and to help it to produce, to guard it and to tend it. And that continues forward. And so that in a kind of summation way, politics exists so that I can better demonstrate God's love and his character to whatever he's put in my garden, whether it's people or plans or vehicles or money or my time. Well, I got a question for you then. Again, based off of what you just said, my expectation then would be for the those that are believers in Christ to be vocal in their vote, um, engaging in community um, service, as well as um, knowing those that... Uh, are in leadership, whether they agree with them or not, I'd expect that. How do we end up with a silent majority in the U.S. then, where, um, you know, by label, we are Christian and, you know, majority in business is 33%, so I'm saying not 60% Christian in the U.S., but how do we end up with this significant block of believers that um, don't make any noise, that don't um engage when i say noise with their leadership in a way that is productive um how do how do we end up with that and then how do we change it um man I, there's a lot of different aspects to that question that i'd love to to touch on but um let me let me try to narrow it down a little bit but you're gonna punt no definitely not <laughs> definitely not number one let me say this um, calling yourself a teapot doesn't mean you have a spout. Um, there's a lot of statistics out there about how many Christians there are in this country. And frankly, I don't trust them. Uh, so you said, how did we end up with a silent majority? I'm, I'm not sure that we have a silent majority, but the bigger problem here is I do think we have a largely silent group, whether it's a majority or a minority. Well, the church, the silent church. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and let's be clear, um, there is a pretty direct correlation between the more progressive or liberal a church is in its theology and the level of its vocalness in politics. Um, there is a very positive correlation there. The more liberal a church is in its theology, the more politically vocal and active and aware it's going to be. Um, and that's not, I'm not suggesting that's causation. Uh, I am saying it's very correlative. 
So I think there are at least two things that I, I would point to um, initially and then draw back to a third and more fundamental one. One, um, in our society, we have a very strong view of personal independence and freedom. Mm. Um, that cuts against the Lordship of Jesus, mm. period. I agree. Drop the mic and walk away. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, so when you add to that, the sense of justice, which, um, or sense of independence, which then says there should be a separation from a political perspective, there should be a separation between your public views and your personal beliefs, which, which I'm going to state is a false description. It is a false dichotomy to try to break things into that way, but that is the society in which we're living. That's the, that's the wide view of, uh, of how it should be. And that does go back to um, Thomas Jefferson's letter and, and the wall of separation that he described between church and state. But it goes back much, it goes back before that to the Enlightenment thinkers that Thomas Jefferson was standing on the shoulders of as he was thinking through this. Um, you can look at John Adams, who says that our form of government can only be successful in a culture where people are voluntarily um, students of scripture and committed to following God's law. Um, Thomas Jefferson uh, disagreed with Adams. Um, and I think that what that's what led, I don't think that's what led, but I think that those two, the fact that Thomas Jefferson disagreed is very much related to his idea of independence. Thomas Jefferson's idea of independence was not just independence from legal overreach, but also overreach from God. And the way Jefferson dealt with that was he basically said, I don't know that there is a God. I'm not sure that even if he is here, he has any right to this. What I am sure above everything else is I don't want him to be, I'm not going to agree to this. Therefore it doesn't matter. Adam said, um, I can, I can agree that your first two points may be true for you, but your third point is false. Um, it doesn't follow from the first two. So we have this now baked into our society that if you are of a particularly strong religious belief, you should be silent in politics, or you should at least keep it private. We have on top of that, it's just kind of a, a secondary footnote here, um, secret balloting. And I think secret balloting is fantastic. It serves a really good purpose of protecting the individual from reprisal uh, that, you know, in, in times before where there wasn't secret balloting, people could go in, if you're going to vote for person X, uh, your employer or your landlord or your merchant could see that and decide to cut you off from their services or from uh, things that you need based on the fact that you were not supporting whatever position they were supporting. Um, a secret ballot protects from that. And I think it's a really wise thing. But a secret ballot is not the same as a mandate to maintain silent. Um, but I think they have been conflated 
or because we have a secret ballot, therefore, we ought not to talk about these things. We ought not to bring them up, if, if nothing else, to keep from stirring a pot unnecessarily. And maybe there's some there's some wisdom in there, I can see. Um, but I'm going to get myself off track here, so let me go back. So number one is we have very strong independence. Number two, we have a sense that... Um, there should be a separation and a secrecy in politics, especially when you are talking about um, strongly held religious beliefs. Um, three, <clears throat> you then have a, a distinction between a conservative, uh, I don't want to say perspective, a conservative impulse and a progressive impulse. G.K. Chesterton has a, a fantastic quote in this that I can't quote, but he essentially said that Progressives exist to mess things up, and conservatives exist to maintain that messed up state once it's been done. Uh, I, I, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of truth to that, even though it's um, pretty humorous. But the, the position that a conservative will take is the way we have done things is based on something that is unchanging, and therefore our policies should in large ways remain unchanged because we started with what was good, what was true, what was beautiful. The progressive impulse says, no, what we have is broken and um, insufficient, and we need to move to the more perfect. And the, the basic idea is there's always a more perfect that's out there. Therefore, whatever it is we have now, we need to break this down, break this up, and build something new and better. And uh, both of those have merit, um, and they can both be taken uh, to extremes that are not only unhelpful, but uh, frankly, deadly. Because on, on, on either side, if you're a conservative extremist, you are going to tend towards fundamentalism. If you are a progressive extremist, you're going to tend towards authoritarianism. Um, so I think I've gotten off the topic here, but let me go back to this more fundamental point. The reason that we're silent is because there is resistance towards the church to proclaiming the gospel. And it's going to come both from a spiritual side where Satan doesn't want this happening. There's going to be spiritual warfare against it. Um, two, our society doesn't want it because it puts our society under the microscope of God's holy law which we all are going to rebel against, do rebel against. And third, it creates dissension within our ranks and points out that we aren't walking in love with our Christian brothers and sisters the way that God has called us to. And we either have to deal with our own sin or we have to start sniping at our brothers and sisters. And we don't really want to acknowledge that we're going to snipe at our brothers and sisters, and we don't really want to do the hard work of dealing with our own sin in this area, oftentimes, as a whole, and so we're left with just standing by silently. That's a long answer, but I think I, I, think I circled no. the train a few times there. It, it's fine. It's, it's one of those things when you look at politics and you think, at least in the U.S., a two-party system, yeah, we have other parties that spin up every now and then. Um, you've got to pick one versus the other. And um, 
once you pick, you seem to be <laughs> baptized into that as opposed to <laughs> Jesus or <laughs> his family. Yeah. Um, your identity is made in the image of one of the two parties as opposed to the image of Christ. And that for me is a tough thing. I mean, I'll, I'll let anyone know I'm an independent. And the reason being I'm an independent is because I like to sit down with the issues and line them up with um, God's word and where um, uh, that is most seen. Um, I'd like to say I can pick one party and be sold on one party, but they're led by people, <laughs> they're led by people that are broken. Yeah. And, and you see that from senators and, you know, elected leaders on the county level and state level. Um, they're broken and human. Just turn on the news and you'll see someone's doing something they shouldn't have been with someone else or, <laughs> or with right. themselves or whatever. And to expect them to be holy as God is and to love as God does um, is one of those things where I think when we're not involved in that process is a bit too much. Um, especially when people are silent. And that, that is the, one of the tough things for me as I engage with believers and learn more about um, their desire to see change and pray for change, but aren't doing the things that are needed for change. And yeah. I, I'm, you know, I'm just talking about the engagement part. Right. <laughs> I mean, you have that freedom to schedule meetings, to call and talk to people, to understand their bent um, before you elect them or even after. I know uh, one of the tough things that we deal with, no matter who's in charge, and uh, at the Church of Matt, we have Democrats and Republicans and Independents and Green. We have everything in our midst, just as I'm sure you do there. Um, what do you tell people to do when there's, you know, someone in party or leading that they don't agree with? <laughs> well, it gets into the politics of it. Like, yeah. So, um, I. I don't want to be flippant here. It's hard to not be flippant, though. Mm -hmm. what, what do I do when there's a political leader who I don't agree with? Is this political leader um, dragging me out of my home, taking my family and feeding them two lions? Not in the U.S. Lighting me on fire and putting me as a street lamp? Not again, because, not in the U.S. <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying. Where, where, where the leaders have done this, um, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll go back to Nero first. The instruction from scripture was really clear. Um, pray for your leaders. Mm -hmm. Pray that God would arrest them in his grace. And pray for the, his favor to be on them and towards you and your neighbors. I agree. Because when the government does well, the people do well. It, it, Paul didn't put any caveats on that. He didn't say... Mm -hmm. You know, whether they're in favor of X, Y, or Z. Or if they're Christian or non-Christian. At all. As you already said, God uses whichever vessels he chooses to use in his wisdom. And he does so for his glory. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't give us the prerogative as Christians of writing off people based on our understanding of their politics or their theology. The basis on which we relate to people is twofold. One, it's the fact that they were created in the image of God. Mm. They bear his image. They therefore have immense worth. Two, they are people for whom Christ came to earth. 
to die for. It it doesn't say anything about how bad they stink or how their how their run might be wobbly or what kind of car they drive. Uh, I and I'm going to go back to the idea of subsidiarity for Paul. Paul recognized that when he was praying for a leader, he was praying for a leader that God had ordained, and he had ordained that leader to bear the sword to carry out justice. And it wasn't. It wasn't for Paul to call that leader and say, hey, you're failing here, therefore you're out. Mm -hmm. Paul had to call that leader's boss because ultimately that leader was going to answer to the person who ordained him to hold that sword for how he carried that sword. Now he wielded that sword. And so Paul said, pray for them and do your best as much as it depends on you to live at peace. And so I wasn't going to ask you this, but I'm, I'm going to toss it out there just to shake it up a little bit. Based on all of this, uh, and, and knowing that hindsight is what it is, as a Christian, would you have promoted support as a pastor for the American Revolution? That again? Would I have supported the promoted, American Yeah, would you have supported the American Revolution? Yeah. How would you have guided your congregation? So the raising up against the government, which you believe is God ordained. There it is. But I have supported it. I'll say that before anything, I go to God, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, and he is the one who guides me when it comes to decisions of um, challenging, um, things that he has put in place. If God is leading me and that is who I'm following and the government has gone awry or has gone astray, my job, my duty as his ambassador and child is to follow him wherever he goes. Yeah. And so in that season, government was wrong. And so I wouldn't have a problem supporting it with the understanding that I'm following God, not man. Mm -hmm. That's the thing for me is uh, when we get twisted around an individual and place them above God, <laughs> I'm just being real. Like that, no, that is, that is the, again, we haven't discussed this, but that is the thing that really drives me for whoever's in leadership. As I pray for them, I strive to understand them and know them. And if I can engage, however, so that I can pray appropriately, I strive to do that. And I pray for them often, whether I voted for them or not. And often I haven't, <laughs> um, <laughs> being honest. Um, but it, it's with the understanding that, you know, God is in charge, period. Um, they might hold a seat for a minute, um, but he's eternal. And yeah. um, my allegiance is to him, not to them with an understanding that he's placed them in that position. And I always have to go to him first. Right. What about you? You wanted to shake it up? Go for it. I don't think I would have. Um, I haven't read as extensively on the, the revolution as I would like to, uh, especially mm -hmm. to start giving advice to, um, to parishioners, to my flock. But from what I see, there was... There were multiple roads that led to the revolution. One of them was the fact that there was a, a recourse 
for um, you know redressing grievances. And certainly the colonies had grievances, legitimate grievances, that were not being taken seriously by their government. And they were trying to redress them. Um, there were others who, you know, some who were trying to redress them and, and saying, well, let's, let's run this course first and then cross the bridge of revolution when we come to it. There were others who were saying, now, uh, you know, forget, forget the regress, the uh, redressing, let, let's just go ahead and start this anew. I, I could not have um, gone with the second. I couldn't have said, let's just throw this off. I don't see that in scripture. The one place I see something is when Peter and John are standing before the synagogue leaders and they have already beaten them. They have uh, instructed them, uh, we're going to let you go. We're not going to imprison you. But when you go from here, you got to stop talking about Jesus. Mm. And Peter said back to them, um, brothers, you determine whether it's better for us to obey God or man. That's the, that's the question that I think we all have to wrestle through is the point at which I can say to government, I'm sorry, no, has nothing to do with the infringement of my liberties, mm. except when it comes to what God has told me I must do. And there are a few things he's told me I must do. I must proclaim Christ. To be a Christian, to be a Christ follower, I must proclaim Christ. I must not deny him. And I must uh, live carrying out the mandate of love towards all those that he's placed under my purview, whether that's my community or my family. And to the extent that government says, no, you may not do that, I now have to go and say, oh, okay, you, you're going to have to determine then whether it's better for me to obey God or man. And that's ultimately a question I'm going to have to ask, my, ask myself. Um, Let's, let's take this current. If I'm in China and China, the Chinese government says to me, um, hey, you've got this church. You need to take down a cross off your church. I, I'm not going to say too much about that. I haven't been commanded to have a cross on my church. They say to me, you're going to have to um, present your sermons before you can preach them. I'm... I'm not going to resist that too much because there's nothing in scripture that says um, I should resist that. They start saying to me, you can't talk about these topics. You can't talk about Jesus as being the exclusive means of salvation. At that point, I'm going to continue talking about those topics and Christ as the sole means of salvation because that's a non-negotiable. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's a part of the identity I have in Christ and I can't forego that without leaving the flock and it's ultimately my identity is not here on earth it has nothing to do with what letter might come after my name or what car i drive it has to do with the fact that christ's blood purchased me he's he's sealed me with the holy spirit he's written my name in his book and i'm going to be coming home to him to receive my reward um And so when you, when you read the testimonies of Christians who are in fact facing persecution and suffering now, whether it's in China or in Iran or in Saudi Arabia or in Sudan, um, 
often what you hear is not some kind of bravado about how they should be throwing off the tyranny of the overlords. What you hear is a gratitude for God's grace, for the salvation they have, and an earnest desire to see the people who are causing them harm to find the love and the salvation of Christ. And I think to go back to the question we asked earlier, why is it so hard to be vocal? I think because as you said, we have made, we have transferred the goal of Christianity, of the proclamation of the gospel over to politics. And we're trying to save our society through politics rather than through the gospel. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge mistake. So the last question I have, which I want to throw to you and, and you know, see how you handle it here. It's, I don't think it'll be tough, but I want to hear your answer. <laughs> Based on what we've said, I think we've been dancing around it. What can politics not do? Well, politics can't save people. Um, politics, I mean, even if we legal, I mean, made it so that everyone had to believe Christianity, it still can't save them. Um, I know that was tried in the past. <laughs> yes, the yes, it was. Church coming together and and whatnot. Um, uh, it we it can't make people have a relationship with God. Um, people are what God loves, and that's um, what He's looking um, for us to engage with, for us to to love them, so they experience and feel what we know to be the truth of Christ in our lives. Um, and the transformation that's taking place, as well as the work that's still going on. Mm -hmm. um, government, uh, um, as much as it can help with social stuff um, when it comes to services and whatnot, as much as it can do as far as protection, it can't um, um, be the mediator between you and God. Mm -hmm. It can't stand in the gap for your sins, and it, um, it doesn't have the ability... Uh, to transcend time, honestly, mm. as as much as you know, people would love to believe America's going to last forever. There will come an end, just as there will uh, be a beginning, a new beginning um, for us all. Um, the question is, do we have a relationship with God? Mm. Did I pass the test? Enjoy listening. <laughs> <laughs> We can um, cut this out later, but uh, I have had my hands in my pockets this entire time. I'm sure you have. <laughs> the truth, though, is because my hands are cold. <laughs> <laughs> I, you, uh, you said something that sparked um, a thought, and um, I'm trying to recapture it real quick. Um, you know, it's important government is not God. That's the big thing. Government is not God. Yeah, yeah. There's something else government can't do. Government can't love you. Mm -hmm. Government can protect you. Government can look out for your interests, but government can't know you. It can't love you. It it can't have a relationship with you. Um, and you can see this. <laughs> government is not relational. Mm -hmm. It is transactional, and one of the um. You know, let me split this off. We said a couple podcasts ago that Christianity has become very, very transactional, and I agree with that. Politics, by definition, is transactional, not relational. 
And politics exists because we need to write down what it is that we agree to so that we can know that we are right, that we have done well. So we can receive that commendation of, yes, you've done it right, therefore what you deserve is X, Y, or Z. Or no, you've done it wrong, therefore what you deserve is A, B, or C. It's really easy to supplant Christianity with politics because politics and religion and I'm going to distinguish between Christianity and religion, politics and religion in, in this way do the same thing. They both set up systems of actions that if performed, a person can write in their own ledger, achieve, well done, mm -hmm. accomplish and approve. And the goal that each of us have, whether we want to admit it or not, is to be measured and to receive that gold star at the top of our lives. Yes. Jer, he was a stand-up guy. He was someone that people should look to and emulate because he did it right. We all want to do it right. None, none of us, unless we're psychotic, none of us get up in the morning and say, you know what, I'd like to be, I aspire to be a tremendous screw-up and I'm going to devote every second I have to do it. You can't devote every second you have to be a screw-up because if you did, you wouldn't be a screw-up. You'd be doing that right. So... <laughs> Politics and religion do kind of vie for this fundamental question, this fundamental drive that we each have in our souls to be measured and to be found measuring up. And if you, if you mistake the one for the other, which and I'm going to go ahead and say this, it's very easy for Christianity to move into religion. Mm -hmm. what, what, I'm saying, what I'm saying here very clearly is if you are of the opinion that you can do certain things and God will be pleased with you, whether it's good things or not. If you are up spending three hours praying every day, reading your Bible, witnessing to people, giving away everything you own, going out and spending your life to promote good causes, mm -hmm. saving unborn babies, saving the environment, mm -hmm. protecting downtrodden people, going and, and advocating for the Uyghur Muslims, whatever it is. If you take that and you think to yourself, or you live as if by doing these things, you will achieve for yourself a righteousness, what you have created is a religion. Mm -hmm. And you don't have a relationship. And it, and becomes, a, it becomes very, very difficult to have legitimate authentic relationship at that point yeah i mean if you're doing it for the gold star when the funny part is you already have the gold star you have jesus <laughs> like you you don't need anything else man if we could just pause and, and just put that on loop <laughs> like really you don't need anything else stop the madness serve out of love for him and that is what humility looks like everyone always struggles with that definition no focus on right. him right let go of all the things of the world and follow him, genuinely seeking to know him daily, not just from a lecture head knowledge, but from a heart connection where you're able to pause and recognize that the spirit is living and engaging daily, looking for you to serve because yeah. his, his love language is obedience and our love language is often different. <laughs> and so, so true. when it comes to, you know, religion, 
we like the affirmation it gives, whereas relationship requires um, a stripping away, um, a letting go, a opening up, a transparency that's uncomfortable in a culture that is heavily transactional. Mm. Um, and so we, we have to get to that. We have to, when we pray for our leaders, get to relational stuff. It's not just about the bill you want to do. I want you to know my father because you have infinite value. So I'm willing to connect with you and walk with you and pray with you. Even if I'm not going to vote for you, I'm still willing no. to serve my God in this area because I'm an ambassador for him. It means I have to let go of a lot of stuff to do some stuff of eternal value. I do. Turn off the TV, <laughs> turn off other things and do the stuff of real value that matters to God and people matter to God. There you go. So uh, we'll save this next question for the subscriber portion. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What you do with Christian leaders in politics who screw the pooch. Exactly. <laughs> the evangelical party. I mean, I mean the... <laughs> yes. Uh, oops. 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 All right. Maybe that's a different discussion for a different day. <laughs> it is. This is new believers. So I think what we did was fine. <laughs> Ain't trying to scare people away. They're like, I can't ever vote Republican. That's not what we said. <laughs> they get to know the people on the level outside of their silk, their party, so that you can actually point them to Christ. <laughs> that's the goal. That's the purpose. That's why we're here. I love that John Piper said it. Um, missions exists because worship doesn't. Mm -hmm. Our goal is to be advocating for and and pleading with people to become worshipers of God, Amen. because it's in their best interest. It's what and we can love them most by doing that. What they create, what we're created for. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Cool, man. Stop.